0: You're listening to the City Lights Church Podcast with Pastor Jesse Miller. Backpacking, though, I remember a time um, I was hiking with a few friends in the Appalachian Trail. Um, and this is in the middle of Pennsylvania. Um, if you, has, how many have ever hiked the Appalachian Trail at any part? Just curious to see if you know what I'm talking about. So the Appalachian Trail goes from Georgia to Maine. And, and Pennsylvania is not really that difficult as far as elevation you don't climb massive mountains, really. I mean, there's mountains, but it's not nearly anything like some of the other states. So level-wise, it's pretty easy. But it's actually rated number two in the most difficult section. And the reason it's so difficult is because it's so rocky. Like, all these little tiny rocks just eat at your feet. And they nicknamed it the place where boots go to die. Like, and I've literally seen parts of boots all along the trail in Pennsylvania. Because it's that bad. But anyway, we're hiking the trail one day, and uh, me and four buddies, and we come into a guy who's passing us, and we kind of, is that a great place to take like a little break? And so we sit down, we take like a 10, 15 minute break, we start talking to him, and we're like, hey man, where'd you start at? And he's like, oh dude, I started in Maine. I'm going for the whole thing, I'm going straight to Damascus, Virginia. I'm, I'm Damascus, I'm gonna stop there, have a party, then maybe finish the whole thing. I'm like, Wow, at first I'm thinking, this guy's really, he's a, he's a go-getter. I'm a weekend guy. I got 30 miles max, and I'm done. He's going Maine to Georgia. And so he's telling us this story, and I start putting some pieces together. I'm like, wait a minute, that information's wrong. Like, that's not at all where that place is at. I look at his shoes, and his shoes are like $10 Walmart shoes. I'm not bashing Walmart, but you don't hike from Maine to Georgia in $10 Walmart shoes. You spend $200 on a pair of boots that get you halfway, if that, and then you get a new pair in the middle at some grocery store, hope or not grocery store, some other sporting goods store. You know what I'm talking about? So I'm like, this guy said he went from Maine, and he's wearing these, like, shoes that aren't going to get you, you know, 30 miles. And his backpack is stuffed. I mean, it's like, he's got, like, jars of jelly in there. He's, he's got like every kind of grocery thing he can get at, at the local grocery store. And I'm looking at this guy, and I'm like, he went to Walmart yesterday and fully loaded on everything from his shorts to his backpack to his sticks to his shoes to all of his groceries. This guy hasn't hiked 20 miles yet. I can see because I've hiked, I've seen through hikers, I've actually taken a class in college on hiking the Appalachian Trail. There wasn't a whole lot of options. It was either that or bowling, I picked hiking. I could instantly tell that this guy is lying to me. He's saying some of the right things, but what he's actually done and what he's wearing proves very opposite. I had some friends go hiking with me before, and it's funny, we get to the, the trailhead, this is a different hike, and one of the guys sees this iron grate, right, like a little, for grilling, laying on the ground. He's like, that would be fantastic for when we get to our campsite. I'm like, yeah, our campsite's 10 miles. He's like, it's okay. So he straps his thing to his back. I'm like, that is a guy who's never hiked the trail before. In hiking the trail, if you hike the trail a lot, you look for one thing, lightweight. You want, like you're reading a book, you're par- tearing pages out, which is sacrilege to me. You know me, I love books. You literally, tear, I've seen guys tear out pages and burn them for less weight. So you can tell on, a tra- on the trail, 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 tra- yeah, trail. We'll get it, we'll get it. Somebody who's done it and lives that life from a guy who knows nothing about it and is pretending. Make sense? Yeah. This morning, if you would, turn with me to Matthew chapter 23. Uh, I'll give you this disclaimer first. This is not a Mother's Day message. Um, we are walking through a series, kind of, we're probably going to finish up a series next week on the kingdom of God. We see that Jesus preached over and over again about the kingdom being at hand. What is the kingdom of God here in our lives now? What does that look like? We don't believe that the kingdom is just something in the future, but it's also something that we partake in and experience and declare on the earth now. Um, So we're finishing up this series, and there's a few, like just this week and next week yet, and then we're really excited. Ben's going to be preaching at the end of the month. uh, The middle of next month, Matt will be here. We're going to go into a new series as well. But we're finishing up talking about the kingdom of God. There's one topic that I feel like we really need to hit on, um, and I guess if we can kind of give you a title or something... Please don't check out if I give you a title. Sometimes you give a title and I'm like, oh, got this one. Know where we're going. I would say today, we're going to discuss the difference between identity and pride. The difference between the two. Matthew chapter 23, if you would turn there. Verse 1, Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do... And they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. We're going to stop there for a second. Jesus says this. He says, go ahead and listen to the Pharisees when they teach. They sit on Moses' seat. Moses' seat was a seat in the synagogue that you would sit at and teach from. And so he tells the people, go ahead and listen to them and do the things that they say, but don't even pay attention or do what they do. They're the guys who talk the right information. They know all the textbook details about God and the Scriptures and Moses and the Israelites and and who the Messiah is supposed to be. They, They know all the textbook information, but their lives look nothing like the kingdom of God. Make sense? So Jesus tells them, go ahead and listen to them and do the things that they're saying out of the Scripture, out of the text, but don't do what they're doing because the whole time... They're living this life looking for prestige and places of honor. See, pride uses good deeds or religious activity to self-promote. It uses good things, things that are scripturally accurate or beneficial for humanity for their own self, self-pleasure. Make sense? Jesus is warning against that here in this crowd. I want to explain this phylacteries. They make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. Phylacteries are these leather cubes that they would make and strap to their arms or their foreheads to put scriptures in. Um, so literally when the, the Old Testament says about tying, binding the word of God to themselves, they would literally do that. They'd make a box out of leather or a pouch on their arm and put the word of God there. And so they'd make these really big ones as if they have like extra amount of verses. Like, check out my phylacteries. It's broad. I'm not really trying to flex. Sorry, people. That was not what I was trying to do. Pretend there's a phylactery right there. It's huge. And their fringes long. What, what they're saying is these fringes, they would, tie, they would be tassels on their wardrobe. You guys seen like prayer shawls and stuff like that? I live in the hill section. The Jewish community is there. These fringes represent the commandments of God. And so they would walk around saying the right things with the big phylacteries and the long fringes, letting everybody see, look at me, I know Scripture and I have the commandments. I am holy. Let's look for my position in the community. I want that good seat. I want that good place of of prestige. Here you got to also understand that being a rabbi, being a Pharisee, wasn't just something that was like, oh, they're a church pastor. There was political influence here. There was social status. And Jesus points out, look, the scriptures they quote are right. The Bible that they read from, when they sit at Moses' seat, is correct. But their whole demeanor about it is completely wrong. They're looking for social standing and not for a kingdom advancement. Make sense? Verse 6 through 7, they're looking for honor Positions or titles. How many of you guys living in Scranton have ever watched The Office? Like every time I go anywhere, like Oh, The Office! I'm like, you know, that wasn't actually filmed here. I have to have this long conversation. People are so excited that I'm from you know where Dwight Schrute lives. They're like, oh, do you like beets? I'm like, no, I do not like beets. I do not. We don't have beet farms everywhere that I'm aware of. This is not. This is not real life. Okay, it's it's Hollywood. But you guys have. Se- Some of you guys have seen. Go ahead. Let me see that again just so I know. Okay. Anyway, there's a character in there named Dwight Schrute who's ridiculous. And he likes to call himself the assistant regional manager, which Michael Scott, his boss, always corrects, no, the assistant to the regional manager. This is what's happening here. A guy who's looking for that title. The job is the exact same thing. And one person's like, no, you're not having that title. The other one's like, I really want that title. They're doing the same job. But it's all about title, position, places of honor. The Pharisees are walking around like Dwight Schrute, looking for that one extra little spot, that one little promotion. The words they say are right, the text they read from is right, but their heart is completely wrong. Let's let's continue reading here. Verse 7. So they're looking for the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplace and being called rabbi by others. That's the title part. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, and and, and you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor called Christ. Stop there. Now I should have preached this on Father's Day. (coughs) We really confused everybody. Wait, what? Call no man father? Jesus tells them, hey, look, don't worry about titles. I had a teacher. I went to a a Christian high school um, when I was in high school. That was the age I was in high school. Um, But I was in high school. I'll say that one more time. And my Bible teacher was teaching on this verse. And she said, it's a sin for us to call our dads father. I'm like, wait, what? And she's like, so on Father's Day, all these cards, you shouldn't make Father's Day cards or buy Father's Day cards. You should make dad cards. I'm like, I'm so confused right now. That's a classic case of missing the point, by the way. Jesus is not concerned about you not calling your dad father because your physical father is meant to represent the father. He wants you to understand the family dynamics. Family is a good thing here, Okay. The problem is, is when we begin to look at positions, rabbis and fathers and whatever titles we want to give to these religious people, Jesus is saying, don't put them on some kind of pedestal because they're looking for that. They're your brothers in this thing. They're also your teachers who sit at Moses' seat. And so listen to them. But don't put them on some higher plane here. You have one teacher. You have one real father. You have one true rabbi, and that's Christ. That's me, the one speaking, not me, him at the moment, speaking. Jesus is saying, let's get this whole system thing wiped out and realize what we are to each other and realize what the Pharisees are supposed to be to you. They're supposed to be your brothers walking amongst you and leading you in truth. That's what they're supposed to be. Let's not get that verse all out of context and make this thing about getting rid of titles or positions or whatever. See, God has clearly gifted the church with leaders, fivefold ministry prophet, apostle, pastor, teacher, evangelist. Those are titles, right? He's gifted them to us for the functioning of the body, the equipping, the equipping of the saints. But it can never be about somebody aspiring to that title or that position for self-promotion or glory or to victimize others. Those positions are to serve the church, not be served by the church. Make sense? God clearly has gifted the church with leaders. And he's also gifted the church with many parts of a body. Every part of the body is a gift from him. And if the leaders don't realize that, they're bad leaders. If a leader doesn't look at some other part and say that is equally a part of this body as I am, then there's something wrong in their hearts. It's called pride. See, the parts of the body have never fought for position or ridiculed each other, right? Physical body, I'm talking physical here. Your heart's never yelled at your hand like, you stupid hand, I wish you were a heart like me. look at me, I'm a heart. Like, that doesn't happen. Why? Because they need each other. They function together, right? And we see that in Scripture. There's a whole passage on the body and how it interacts together. And the same should be true with leadership in the church and, and those who sit at Moses' seat. That should be there. And those who aren't in Moses' seat should see that person for what they are to the body, Not trying to fight to become that part, but being their own part. Being their own part to the body. See, pride seeks to use other parts of the body for self-promotion. Pride does a lot of things. It stops you from being what you're called to be to the church. Let me explain. So you're like, Jesse, what are you talking about? I'm not a church leader. I'm not a church elder. You know, I whatever. I don't have any position. I'm just a visitor here today. I go to another church down the street. Cool. Pride stops us on a daily basis, on a personal level, from praying for the person in the mall who needs healing for their leg. Pride stops us from when our coworkers complaining about their entire week and how awful their life is from interjecting truth and peace and love in that situation Pride keeps us from, from proclaiming the kingdom of God in this situation. Because in that moment, we think, if I say something, I'll look stupid. If I say something, I'll lose my job. If I say something, blah, 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 right? Pride isn't just in the church building about positions. Pride is in so many aspects of our lives, and it stops, it hinders the manifestations of the kingdom of God in your life. Make sense? sense? Pride provokes a few of things as well. So it stops, it stops praying in public. It stops you from trusting in him with all your insecurities and your fears and blah, blah, blah. What, let me explain that. So the person who's constantly worried about what they can achieve or that job promotion they don't think they'll do or that test they might fail or whatever, that person who's constantly worried in those things that you can perform, it's really pride that says, I don't trust you, God, with my life. I don't trust you, to be my advocate. I don't trust you to use the gifts that you've put inside of me for your good and for my good as well. Pride li- makes you live in fear. That sounds counterintuitive to a lot of people. Pride keeps people in fear. There's a friend of mine that I, I, I knew, and so many people would say to me, man, that guy is so arrogant. And I would say, no, he's really not. I know his heart. It's out of his insecurities and his fears that he speaks out in pride. Those two often go hand in hand. It's because he's, he doesn't really know who he truly is. He puts on a show to be somebody else. Make sense? Insecurity and pride are closely related. Pride also provokes a few things. Pride provokes judgment. It's that guy that you cut off that you're like, oh, my, my, my bad, I'm sorry. But then he cuts you off the very next day. And you want the wrath of God and all Scranton's finest to come out and swarm around his car and take him to jail. You guys know what I'm talking about. It's pride in us that provokes judgment on somebody. It's yeah, that's not me. I'm I'm better than you are, so you deserve the full weight of the law. It's pride in us that seeks restitution for crimes against us. Pride provokes seeking vengeance when you've been wronged. Pride provokes penance for sins committed. Why? Because you become some kind of moral superior saying that that person owes me this. That person owes me what a, an apology. I deserve an apology. When we begin to walk around that, it comes out of a position of pride, not out of a position of humility, knowing that we were indebted indebted deeply deeply indebted to a perfect god and our sins could never be atoned for on our own but he paid the penalty he paid the penance for us we are deeply indebted people that's been forgiven but yet you and your little crime against me i deserve penance you cut me off you you took that promotion at work you you took credit for something that wasn't yours you des- whatever you fought in my family, you were an alcoholic dad, you were an abusive mom, you were whatever you- I deserve your apology. I want to challenge you that you might have the uh, there was a pastor who said this one time you might have a reason, but you never have the right. you might have a reason to be mad at somebody and say logically, social norms-wise, I can give you a reason of why I should be angry at you. But because of the blood of Christ that has washed our sins, we don't have a right to hold that against them. We don't have a a right to walk in bitterness waiting for vengeance, waiting for restitution, waiting for penance. We don't have the right for it. And it's only in His humility and His grace that we can erase that part of our hearts and say, I'm forgiving them, even if they haven't asked for it. I refuse to be held down by pride or some kind of bitterness. Let's read verse eleven here. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. This is echoing Matthew chapter twenty. He's already written it, written it, written it a few verses before. This is repeated. If it's repeated to us, we should take notice of it, right? In Matthew chapter 20, it's interesting because this comes right after the mother of two of the disciples is asking Jesus for position for their, her kids. And he's like, You don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> if you want position, you've got to humble yourself and serve all. That's how my kingdom works. The kingdom of God does not work by personal advancement, it works by s- servants' hearts serving others, humbling ourselves. That's how his kingdom works. Jesus tells his disciples over and over again throughout the Gospels, this kingdom works this way, my kingdom works very different. Your kingdom works by exalting yourselves and, and ruling over others, my kingdom works by serving others, coming underneath them and lifting them up. That's how my kingdom works. It's a very different kingdom that we are part of Disciples here are looking for prestige and God's saying, I'm not looking for you to be elevated. I will elevate you when you humble yourselves. His kingdom's based on humility. This morning, Robert pointed out to me, Matthew chapter 5. It's the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. Poor in spirit just simply means that God's blessing those who realize their need of a savior. They're not walking around in some kind of weird pride and self-glorifying. Glorify, They're walking around in humility. They're poor in spirit. That doesn't mean you're sad and depressed, okay? Let me, let, me, let me challenge you on that. Poor in spirit does not mean, like, I'm the saddest guy in the world. I'm going to be blessed today. That's not it. We, joy, he came to give us joy and life, right? So blessed and poor in spirit is like, I recognize my need for a Savior I recognize that in and of myself, I am nothing. But in him, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's our inheritance. Make sense? This kingdom is based on humility. Back to chapter 23, verse 13. But woe to you, scribes. This is called the first of the seven woes. People go like, ooh, it's the woes section. We're not going to do all seven today. Relax, take a deep breath. You're like, I don't know if I can handle seven woes on Mother's Day. It's a lot. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. We'll stop there. That's an intense verse, isn't it? Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. These are the guys who write the word of God and know the word of God, but their hearts are completely messed up. Woe to you, Because you shut the door of the kingdom of God in people's faces. People are coming to you to hear about who I am, to hear about my revelation on the earth so that they can be a part of the kingdom of God on the earth, and you shut the door in their faces with your pride and your ignorance and your selfishness. That's a pretty powerful verse, isn't it? See, pride shuts the door of the kingdom, not just for others, but also for yourselves. It said that in the verse. It says you shut the kingdom in their faces and you don't even go in yourself. You talk about the kingdom. You preach about the kingdom. You preach the the word of God, but you can't even go in because of your pride. Because of your hearts that are looking for position. Woe to you, Pharisees. Woe to you. I'll give you some good news. Jesus gives these seven woes in the very next part of, of Matthew is that he's like, I wish, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I wish that I could bring you in and love you. One beautiful thing that um, I think it's N.T. Wright points out, during those woes, Jesus never mentions his rule in the woes. It's their their issue, their thing. The woe is on them because of what they've done. It's just natural. It's a natural consequence to their own brokenness. And Jesus then says, I wish that I could be a, do this to you. I wish that I could love you. I could bring you in. Our Father, our, our Lord, is always a God who's not looking to punish you and to keep you out of the kingdom of heaven. He's trying to teach you how you have kept yourself out of the kingdom of heaven and how you're keeping others out of the kingdom. I wish I could gather you in and love you, but you're keeping yourself out. You're keeping yourself out. We're, see, we've been talking about how the kingdom of God is, has come through Christ in seed form. The gospel will be proclaimed. We get to partner with it. We get to manifest it in the things we say, the things we do, the way we think. We get to renew our minds. And this morning, the, one of the biggest, I would say the biggest obstacle to us seeing the kingdom of God advance in the city is our personal pride. Amen. That's us having our list of agendas for every day. To where this is what's important, and so I won't pray, I won't feed the, 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 hum, the, the hungry, I won't, I won't reach out to my neighbor, I won't do this or this or that, and I won't love them because that could interfere with my objectives and my goals and my positions and my titles. Make sense? Yes. When we live with that mindset, we can't see the kingdom of God advance and so we shut the door to the thing. We shut it. Church, we've been praying, we've been asking that God would come and invade this city, that he would use us in our workplaces and in our homes, that we would heal the sick, cast out demons, cleanse the lepers, do all those things that Jesus says are signs, representations, and, and part of preaching the gospel, part of declaring the kingdom. We want all that, but the biggest obstacle to experiencing it is personal pride personal pride, rather self-religious or just our own goals and identity, whatever. that makes sense? See, pride shuts the door to the kingdom. Identity manifests the kingdom and to, to yourself and others. When you know who you are in Christ, you begin to speak out and declare because you're not worried about what society thinks. You know who you are in his eyes. My goal this morning is for, to not make you feel like trash about yourself. Like, oh, i got to be super, super humble now and, and think less about myself. That's not the goal of this. The goal of, of humility is not thinking lesser. That's false humility. The goal of humility is knowing who we are in Christ and then using them not for our own benefit but for his glory. Amen. So I know my role in the church when I truly know it, when I live through my identity only as his son, wrapped in his righteousness, don't need anybody else's approval, then I'm able to speak to those around me. But the moment I start thinking about Jesse Miller and how it would look stupid or what if that prayer isn't answered and what would they think then and this isn't the right time or place and I make all these excuses, then guess what happens? My kingdom's displayed and not his kingdom. I want you to begin to I want you to begin to think, is it his lack of moving in this city, or is it my lack of humility that's keeping his kingdom from being manifested in my environment? What is it? I love what Selena said this morning. His spirit's already moving. We quote that verse in the last days, you'll pour out your spirit on sons and daughters and and Old men, I forget all, the dream and dreams and prophesy, and everybody's doing awesome things, right? And we tend to make this as something that we can't wait for. Let me say this, that day has already started. It's called the day of Pentecost. So people ask me all the time, Jesse, what's your view on eschatology? Are we in the last days? I say yes. So what do you think? I have no idea. We've been in the last days for 2,000 years. Okay? So, sorry if that offends somebody, I've, I've... I can't tell you how many times I get asked that. Like, just we got we're a last day's church. Yes, the whole church is a last day's church. Pentecost, he poured out his spirit on sons and daughters to dream dreams and to prophesy. It's, it's a part of who we are. I don't know why I said that this morning. I, I don't even know where I got, how I got there. You and I get to live in the kingdom right now. You and I get to proclaim that. You and I get to be a part of this thing. The kingdom of God is something that we get to partner with now, and it's pride that keeps us from pursuing and displaying it. One more passage for you this morning. James chapter 4. If you'll go there with me. James chapter 4. So James is kind of this book that's giving us a lot of warnings and a lot of um, it's it's really good pastoral spiritual advice. It's just like bullet spiritual advice. Like there's a ton of stuff in five chapters of James. It's great. James chapter four. He's talking about fights within the church and, and arguments and quarrels and where these things come from, why we're fighting. In verse 4, I'll start here. Let's go before that. Verse 4, yeah, verse 4. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy with God. Or do you suppose it's to no purpose that the Scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell within us? But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says... God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. We have a God who has put his spirit inside of us, right? When we come to faith, the Holy Spirit dwells in us. We only come to faith through the power of the Holy Spirit, changing and stirring our hearts, and he dwells inside of us. And God is jealously protective over that spirit inside of you. He, He loves the spirit that he has put in you. And he protects that thing. But then here's what it says. So he's jealous of the Spirit that he's made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. When we walk with the Spirit of God inside of us and live out of a humble place, we're given more and more grace. Grace is There's another word for grace. It's giftings. So he has given us his love. He's given us more giftings. He's given us elevation. And we see that. God exalts those who are humble. Okay? So when we live in that place with the spirit inside of us, God lifts that up. But what does he do to the proud? Opposes. The scripture literally says God opposes those who are proud. That means if you have a goal and you're proud and you're going for something, God is on the other side saying, no, I'm not not letting it happen. I'm holding you back. We don't see that in the, in the... We have a good Father, let me say that, who gives graces that are unmerited to us. But when it comes to pride, Scripture tells us He goes against you and your dreams and your goals because you're operating in pride. Yeah. The, I, I, I can say from experience... That There are times when God, there's good dreams, good goals in my heart, but God has shut them down because I've been living in a place of pride. He's, he's squashed that. There are ministers all over who are operating in a place of pride and they have great dreams in their hearts that God's like, yeah, I'm not letting that door open for you. I'm going to hold it shut. In fact, I'm going to start pushing on other doors, keeping them shut, because you have an issue in your heart. I want to I challenge us, church, that each one in here, we've been speaking on identity for a while. God has. So let me, let me give you a wide scale picture, real quick. I, I know it's getting later than you're normally, and you've got reservations for Mother's Day and all that stuff. It's, it's great. Um, it's, it's cool. I'm glad you do. So people have asked me, you know, when I go back to my hometown, I go to different places. So, what's Scranton like? What's, what's the church look like in the years? And, I, and let me give you a snapshot of what I've kind of seen, and you might be somewhere in this snapshot, but I said, when we moved to Scranton in 2010, I felt like the churches across the city were fighting against each other, and everybody was what I call like post-religious, where they believed that God existed, if they believed He existed, He didn't love them. He was distant and somewhere else. I said, we've seen our church go from this place where God doesn't love me, so no, God does love me, To so not only does God love me, but He also wants to give me giftings, and He wants to use me for His glory. That's kind of the journey that I feel like our church has been on. Make sense? So in the midst of this journey, I believe that God is putting giftings inside of our hearts for his glory. But we have to recognize what is the difference between something that's a personal ambition for title and prestige or for self-glorifying, being more spiritual or whatever, or what is the God-given identity he's called me to in the local body of Christ? That there's a big difference between the two. I want you as a church to know who you are in Christ, that you are his beloved, that you are blessed by him, you are called by him. We are all brothers in this thing, regardless of title and position, that we are a part of the church, working toward a common goal, advancing his kingdom, but you only do it through Christ, not through your own whatever. Paul says, I boast only in Christ. I boast only in his resurrection. I only, that's, who, that's the only place that I can boast in anything. This is the same Paul who thought that he was king of everything. He thought he was the best. I mean, Paul is an example of arrogance at the beginning of his, his ministry, I guess you'd call it. And God keeps rocking that thing of pride out of his heart over and over and over again until he's able to say, I boast only in Jesus I boast only in his resurrection. And the pains that I I take, the pains that I go through, I'm not even worthy of these pains. When was the last time that you were afflicted for the gospel and you thought, thank you, Jesus, I'm not even worthy of this affliction. I'm not even worthy to take that ridicule. Let me be real vulnerable with you. I'm at a birthday party for five-year-olds yesterday and they got a DJ there. It's ridiculous. And there's a lady in the corner complaining and complaining and complaining to some guy about all these doctors and all these things. And my pride shut me down along the wall. I'm just, I'm just being honest with you. I could have stepped out in that moment and brought the kingdom and prayed for her and said, hey, why are you, why are you complaining? Maybe you should see it this way. Let's, let's bless you. Instead, I'm like, man, I don't feel like getting in that conversation because she's cranky. <laughs> so I'm going to stand here and drink my Pepsi, And watch my kids play with their friends. That's pride. I'm just being real vulnerable with you. I'm not saying, I'm not up here saying that I've fixed this thing in my own heart. I haven't. But I'm saying if we want to see the Spirit move and God to change this city, we have to begin to let the Holy Spirit evaluate that and pull it out of us. Living by the Spirit, not by the flesh, dying to self, and living in our true identity, which is hidden in Him. Matthew 20. And this is right after the question about position. Verse 25, And Jesus called them to him, and he said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord over them, and their, their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you, you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you, you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The kingdom of God, advanced in Scranton, comes when we learn from the greatest example that we've ever had, and that's to die to ourselves and serve all those around us. That's when we'll see the true, true kingdom manifest here. Let's stand, let's worship. Let's worship just for a few moments, and then we'll pray. But this morning as we sing, I, I hope that we can, that through the power of the Holy Spirit in us, pride starts to die. Scripture tells us that we are currently seated with Him in heavenly places. If that becomes your reality, if you know that you are seated with Him in heavenly places, what do we care about earthly titles or earthly prestige or earthly whatever our identity when we live as children of him and co-heirs with christ has to be that we are seated with him already regardless of what we see and experience regardless of the way our friends or co-workers or family treat us you are seated if you are in christ if he is your savior you are seated with him in heavenly places there's no better promotion than that it doesn't get any better. that's it it's the highest And it's currently, it doesn't say you will be, it says you are currently seated. You're currently seated with him in heavenly places. That's the gospel. He took wretched, sinful people separated from him and has sat them with him in heaven. We are currently with him. That's beautiful. Let's pray. Father, I pray that this morning, the words that I have said, God, would not cause confusion. God, for those who are struggling with self-worth God I pray that you would surround them with your amazing amazing love God that they would know that they are your sons your daughters and there is no better place that they can be there's no higher elevation there's no more value because you've seen the utmost value in them already it's while we were sinners you died for us so we have extreme value So Father, for those who are struggling with that, God, I pray that they would not be confused by my message, but they would live in true identity as sons and daughters, seated in heavenly places. But God, for those of us who are struggling with pride and and titles and competitions and vindication and judgment on others, God, I pray that you would wipe that out and let us be like your son who came to serve and not to be served that we can demonstrate and manifest the kingdom of God only through dying to the flesh and living by the Spirit. And the Spirit man serves all and loves all, Father. Let us live by your Spirit. Holy Spirit, flow out of our hearts and into our city this week, we pray. Squish, destroy, kill pride. Let us live for you, we pray in Jesus' name. amen. Amen.